Hi, I'm Forrest Griffin. Brian Carraway. And Lisa Tate. What's up, guys? This is Joseph Benavidez, UFC Flyweight. Hi, this is Greg Jackson, and you're listening to It's MMA Zing, and that is an amazing pun. Get it? Like MMA, but amazing? I'm amazing. Radio. Welcome to It's M Amazing Radio. I am your host, Dr. Law. With me as always, DJ Mark. What's up? This week, DJ Mark, this is the week we get you a PS5. Telling, I'm calling it. Sure, sure. Also <laughs> joining oh, me over here about it. Don't, don't step on my bit, Mike. Also joining me this week, Lavender Gooms. A little bit of fun fact for you guys. That's a day late. July 18th was National Ice Cream Day. So get yourself a DeLorean. Go back a day, get yourself some ice cream, or just two wait, days for the listeners. Know, just wait a year, Mike. For the next one. This is also the week we get you a PS5. I'm feeling it. I got a good feeling. All right. And, and by and by, we get you a PS5. That means you're paying for it. No, man. If I find you a link, that should be enough. That's basically an opportunity. Hey, man, you can sell it. I'm giving you an investment opportunity. That's what I'm doing. Sure, you you giving me a link. Link. Link me your bank account. Well, let me tell. Let me tell you. Hook me up. Oh, okay. All right. Let me tell you, though, it's going to be on Walmart, so chances are nobody's getting anything. Also, fellow member of the Cool Kids Club that has a PS5, Kid Presentable. You know, I've risen above the fray. It's like uh, it's like Daniel Cormier's Lil Wayne song goes, you know, there's only heaven at the top when there's nothing up above it. That's where we're at, Bobby. You know, we've, <laughs> we've truly made it to the pinnacle. And just for Mike's pettiness right there, you know what? I'm going to buy a PS5 and I'm going to flip it for lots of profit <laughs> and just sell it for lots of profit. And Mike's just like, oh, that's his plan. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Mike's either left us or it froze. We don't know what's happening. But he's giving he froze. I, I, I like to think he All conceded right. defeat on the PS. I post. didn't know if it was that Stefan froze and the rest of us were looking at him like, well, his shit just crapped out. But I guess it was my shit that crapped out. It is. Just your camera still just you giving a real disdainful look at Stefan. Let me tell I mean, you. I mean, honestly, as far as fra- freeze framing goes, not bad. He, yeah, look, he looks a little disdain, but he's not, he doesn't look a fool. Just judgmental. As, as we as often fuck. do. <laughs> Um, well, it's a good thing this is an audio medium, so at least my voice is coming through okay. Yeah, yes, it is. See if you can turn your camera on and off, man, and see if that helps. Um, all right, boys and girls, um, this is we've reached the part of the podcast or the time of year in the podcast post Conor McGregor fight where ain't nobody listening to us or watching these fights. Let me tell you. Um, but this past weekend, we had, uh, as I refer to, to my, told my friends to watch all these ones to talk about Connor last week. Let me tell you, none of them watched this when I told them new Habib is fighting. And no, oh, they're like, I got stuff to do. I got stuff to do. So Islam, um, Makachev is what I was calling the dude. Apparently, we're now at Mahachev, which I mean, let's He's silent, it, I guess. I don't know. I'm just saying, let's just get it. I mean, I let's just get it right at the beginning. So I'm not it's calling like the dude. Jose Aldo. You know, I'll admit it took me a while to finally adopt that. But you know what? Things evolve with time. They're fluid, Bobby. They're yeah, fluid. but they, they told us at the beginning, Jose, like fight two or three, they told us. We're like 12 well, fights into Islam's UFC right in, here. In this case, if he is also Dagestani, right? And Habib's name is pronounced, you know, H, you know, the K-H-A. Well, it's we Habib. got a K-H-A I, a in the middle of say, his name. A lot of people are saying Habib, by the way. <laughs> Just saying, a lot of people are now saying Habib. So I don't know. 
We need some clarification on how we say these people's names. Yeah, you know what? We do. Um, yeah, he just was just throwing Tiago Marais, uh, Mo- I'm sorry, Moses all over the damn place, uh, Mark. He pretty much had his way in every level in that fight, huh? It was a really interesting fight. You know, we don't get, we haven't gotten a ton of looks at Islam just because I don't, has it been injuries or people ducking Nobody him? Nobody wants seems to like, fight him. He turns right. you into a pizza pie, just throws you in the air. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, uh, I think it's natural to have a lot of comparisons with Habib because they come from similar camps. They have very similar styles. But it was really interesting to see Islam fight and see the areas where I think he, he's a little better. Then Habib, I think he put a lot better pressure standing up. I think his hands are a lot better. I think his stand-up um, is really good. Because I think Habib left a lot to be desired in those departments. Um, what I was a little critical of is there wasn't a lot of urgency to get the fight to the ground early on. Um, he, he did get to the fight to the ground every round, including the second round where he got taken down and was able to reverse position extremely quickly. But it was a little concerning to see him want to play the stand-up game as long as he did. He did extremely well there. He pressured uh, Tiago against the cage. He um, landed really good hands. He had a good setup for his left uh, hand. He had a good left kicks to the body. Um, and then in the clinch, it was kind of interesting. Tiago showed a lot of strength there. He was able to push Islam up against the cage. He was able to take center there. Like I mentioned, the second round, he was able to get a double and, um, you know, Islam went for a guillotine. He took him down very quickly. He was able to scramble and get his back. Um, And yeah, and then in the third and fourth rounds, we saw, I think, Islam, the conditioning really came into play there. He was able to, in the clinch position, get his back like Habib does so well. And once he's riding his back, you know, that's one of the positions where Habib really makes these guys work um what i kind of noticed in the difference is wait was that the was that when he got almost when the guy went through up the triangle was that that was in the third round or fourth round was that was the fourth so the third is where he got his back in the clinch and that's where habib you know gets that position often and what habib does really well is he lets those guys work themselves back up just to drag them back down and i think that really tanks a lot of guys and what I noticed in um, Islam's top game is there wasn't as much advancing. There wasn't as much scrambles. There wasn't as much as him just riding on top and grinding him out. What I saw more with Islam was really solid control. He wasn't letting the guy advance too much. You know, some decent ground and pound. And it was really a tactical display of him waiting for his moments to explode, to get the takedowns, and ultimately finish the fight in the force. So it was a really mature approach. Um, someone that obviously has a really good skill set. It, it's hard at this point to say, like, oh, he, he's exactly at Habib's level. He is the, the next coming. But we have to see him fight more credible guys than Tiago uh, Moises here. He's trying, but man. He, he's really trying. No, <laughs> yeah, but this was, this was a great showing. You know, he looked basically flawless in this fight. First um, five-round fight. Yeah, and and again, like the stamina is is not an issue. That that is actually something that played right into his favor. You know, he had a lot of time to work. He had a lot of time for the other guy to kind of spin his wheels and uh, get him tired. And and like you mentioned in the fourth round, you know, I think that's really where we saw the conditioning of the two fighters really take a big pivot. Where Islam was very fresh. That was the round where he actually shot a double, got in so deep. He got so deep in that double and was able to lift him up so effortlessly. Um, and it was interesting. He he went from a double to a single to try to do a more high angle slam. Uh-huh. And to Tiago's credit, that's where he tried to slap on a triangle, and he wasn't able to get that that big um, slam that he wanted. But from that position, he was able he, to advance to back and get the choke. You know what I liked? Um, you did mention this. I found interesting. We said that he took he took too long to go to the ground. It's a man who's got knocked out before. He's got a knockout loss on his UFC record, Islam Makhachev. So I did appreciate Javier Mendez just being like. 
who's Javier who's there for gra- for who's there for striking who's just like yeah man I need you to take him down let's just let's just what are we fucking around with here you know you you guys hire me to stand here and tell you guys to take him down um really a, a criticism of him not playing to his strengths but he looked good in the stand up like he looked really I mean there was no point in I, I thought Tiago was surprised he was like what the hell like I expected yeah, to be taken his, down his hands were sharp. He was setting. He was setting things up to land that that left straight. He was b- breaking through Tiago's guard. You know, we saw more of a stand up, and it, it looked very polished. You know, especially when you factor in all of his other tools, his grappling regiment. You know, to be as proficient as he was in the stand up, and, and and not just throwing strikes. You know, there's more to it than that. It's him pressuring him against the cage. It's it's not letting Tiago use lateral movement to get out. He really trapped him up against the cage. He he put so much pressure on him. Tiago was the one that was in clinches and and that pressure got to him. He didn't have a lot of room to work and he would go for a clinch, you know, initiating into the strength of Islam. So, it was a really good performance, but at this point, we know this guy is extremely skilled. Um we know he's of, you know, top contender status he just really needs to get matched up with these better well, fighters to really see where he's at i think we're at that point now man he's listed number uh nine right now i have no idea if this is updated or not mike let's play a game here um i'm going to list the guys listed above him and you tell me if you're picking against islam okay all right okay dan hooker conor mcgregor Rafael dos Anjos, tony ferguson Michael Chandler, Benil Dariush, Justin Gaethje, Dustin Poirier, and the champion Charles Oliveira. How many of those ones right, are you I'm, picking against Islam? I'm going to tell you right now, you threw way too many names. I don't even remember the first Well, I thought names, you were going to stop me as I was do, going. Do I'm this. like, man, Mike's confident say in this name. dude. You want me to take it over? I, mean, but I was listening to the. I mean, you really did. You really didn't give me. You like. You gave me like no moments of grief. Okay, you know to what? Say yes I, no, I, I, let's I try apologize. this again. Well, no, let's go. Okay, fine. Let's do it again here. We got. Thank you, Dan Hooker, Conor McGregor. Okay, Conor McGregor. Michael Chev. Rafael Dos Anjos. I'll go with Dos Anjos. Tony Ferguson. It goes to Tony Ferguson. No, I'll take Michael Chev. Michael Chandler. Chandler. Benil Dariush. Dariush. That's, that's just for you, Bobby. I wouldn't pick him. Justin Gaethje. <laughs> uh, pick Gaethje. Um, so I, I think from this exercise, what we're getting at least on my end is that he's definitely a borderline yeah. top. Yeah, you need, you, you need someone. You need somebody between him to fight somebody between five and seven, five and eight to see where he's at. Yeah. I I I don't think I'm not saying he's not ready to fight a top five guy, but I don't think yet, just based off who he's fought in his last two, that he deserves to fight a top five guy yet. Stefan, where are we at with this guy? I mean, we we gotta get we gotta get him to fight one of these guys. I mean, I saw him calling out Dan Hooker, and I know why Dan Hooker doesn't want that fight, because I've seen Dan Hooker fight before. But he's gotta fight these guys, right? This is where we're at. <laughs> It is where we're at, and I, I think the interesting, I actually slightly disagree with Mike, where I think all the way up through Dustin, I think it's fair to say it's somewhat closer to a coin toss, uh-huh. even if you might pick, if you, even if I might talk myself into a Gaethje or a Dustin over him, he adds enough interesting elements and wrinkles that I conceivably see him beating all of those guys as well. You don't, you don't feel like confidently... 
Yeah. You, I apologize, Stefan, but you don't feel confidently picking against him in basically any fight you see. That's where yeah, you're, he, he has. Like, I could totally see him stifle Dustin, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I'm not say, saying he's a Beeb level because honestly, we might not ever see that level again. But I have seen what Dustin looks like when he can't get up, when he can't fight the takedown. I've seen him. He's great when he can be the offensive initiator. But defensively on the bottom, he's not quite as dangerous, you know. And the, the Dagestani style isn't necessarily it, – it's about control more so than it is assuming, like, grappling, uh, you know, grappling domination. Though so they'll take it if they can get it, right? They will hunt subs. But, so, yeah, I, I, I totally think he has an argument against all the top five of the division. Um, and if we've given him a main event slot, be it a card that I chose not to watch, you know, like you said, Bob, let's be real about the Q rating of this card was not great if you had anything else to do. Um, so I didn't see it. But the fact that if he's gotten that far, I have no problem with sticking him any of those guys. There's going to be guys in waiting. It's but right now, no, he's not desirable to fight because he's the guy chasing up. No one wants to punch down on the rankings. Right. My, yeah. So, Mike, you, know. you wanted to get back in on this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just one quick thing that I think the reason why I'm still a little hesitant just to say that he should fight any of those guys is um, one thing I want to be very careful with is just thinking of him as Habib Light and that, you know, just because he has a Sambo style and he's from Dagestan and, you know, Habib's in his corner that we're basically just going to be seeing the second coming of Habib well, Nagamedov. You know, that's a good point, Mike, because we also have had a bunch of other Dagestanis. And they were good, like uh, Rustam Khabilov was good, I remember. There's a couple other good guys. There's only one Khabib. We have no other champions. No one else is getting title shots these days. So, yeah. Um, Marcus, we talk about the return of the cu of uh, Cupcake, Misha Tate. Yes, you have and, to. And um, real quick, just, you know, thank you to Mary and Renault for providing us a couple of good years of entertainment in there, man. Happy trails. Enjoy your retirement. But... Misha Tate looked great, Marcus. <laughs> yeah, you know, leading up to the fight, uh, she was saying, you know, this is Misha Tate 2.0, which is something that you hear a lot of fighters either coming out of retirement or having long stints of inactivity will we'll say they kind of like revitalize themselves or evolved their fighting game. And, you know, um, the proof's in the pudding. And in this cake, it's in the cupcake because she looked fantastic in this fight. Uh, physically, she looked, I mean, and, and this is, you know, Misha Tate has always been one of the pioneers, female fighters who's always been in great condition, always has a ton of heart and a good gas tank to go along with it. Um, you can credit that to her victory over Holly Holm, who snatched, you know, victory out of the jaws of defeat in the fifth round by uh, getting a rear naked choke. But she looked great in this fight. I, I think big improvements have been made in her stand-up and not just her hands the accuracy but a lot of it is footwork she was able to dart in and out of range really well in this fight she was able to land a lot crisper strikes than we've seen in the past yeah yeah I, I, in the past i felt misha's movement was um i'm not trying to be mean but it was bad it like she looked uncomfortable standing i felt for years she looked very comfortable in this one just much more yeah. fluid i mean and this isn't to say you know she's some flawless fighter um you know renault was able to get you know, land right hands fairly consistently in the first round. But, you know, Misha Tate's bread and butter has always been her wrestling game. It's a really fantastic base to have in uh, female MMA. To be able to take your opponent down and control them, you know, has gotten her very far in her career. And, you know, while the stand-up, I think, was very close, they were both, you know, landing decent shots on each other. You know, Tate's ability to get those takedowns, get on top, control 
and do some damage. You know, I think it was in the second round she was able to land some some better ground and pound. Um, and in the third, I didn't think the TKO stoppage was like super warranted. It was more of a stoppage of position. Than she was of, stuck. You know, yeah. You know, basically, um, she had her back and was you know landing consistent shots, but there were arm punches and you know. As she was kind of turning back to, to to go into mount to try to defend herself, you know, the referee stopped it. And I, I don't think it was like a horrible stoppage or anything, um, but it wasn't. I, one I wish like, they hadn't, honestly, because she'd never been stopped before, and it was her last fight. That's the only reason I was yeah. like, I, I didn't want to take a third, another two minutes of beating or whatever it was. Or yeah, I mean, I just, I, I'm I'm actually totally with you, Bob. I felt the same way. Like you know, it is her last fight. You know, maybe give her a chance to to try to do something spectacular. It really probably wasn't going to happen. We hadn't seen anything in the last two rounds that really showed her ability to get back up and change the pace of the fight once it hit the ground. So Tate was probably going to win. The referee might have just stopped some extra damage. And, you know, at her age and stuff, there's no reason to to take a, a wampling at your last fight. So, yeah, it wasn't egregious, but it wasn't one where I was like, yeah, Tate was just smashing her face and she was just landing some unanswered blows and there wasn't a good showing of intelligent defense until right actually when they were about to stop it so it was a great showing for tate you know uh she has aspirations to fight for the title from what yeah. i saw yeah from what i saw in this fight i think she can get that title shot i just don't see her beating amanda nunez you the know one, the, you mean, the stand-up the woman who took, yeah, the, who took her belt who took it from her yeah, <laughs> yeah. and then it has reigned you know in two divisions since misha tate's been gone for five years but i will say you know we were very critical and i pointed out a lot you know how much in connor's fight he had kind of lost a step you know being away from the game for so long this is a game that evolves extremely quickly and athletes you know find new techniques and new ways to exploit their opponents but misha tate looked just as good if not better than ever so i was thoroughly impressed after a five years five-year stint away that she looked as sharp as she i mean ring rust was furthest thing from the conversation when you were watching this fight she looked like she's she's been fighting the whole five years just in a different organization or something so she looked great i i have all the confidence in the world that she's going to be a contender and can potentially get a title shot if yeah, the let's, matchups let's line up i think uh, uh one thing I, I would note about it you know not that it it makes it any less impressive that the rust wasn't there that she came but it's when i heard that she was only 34 years old that i realized yeah. oh she walked away really young absolutely like, this age in the women's division is kind of the prime years uh, for a lot of the fighters. This is where, you know, a lot of them are really leaving their marks and legacies. So even though, yeah, like you, everything Mark said is accurate about her having to come back from this layoff and just really get back in the swing of things. But I think the, that's kind of the upside of it where, you know, like maybe she does have a run in her is she's young or at least she left young. So, you know, she's still fresh, didn't put too much mileage, too much damage on her. You know, she's not someone who's kind of coming back because there was nothing else they could have possibly done, and they really need it, right? Because yeah, we've was, seen fighters she, like that. She was that. VP of uh, yeah. 1FC, right? She would be a VP of there. She has stuff to do. Yeah, we so. thought she was when they announced she was going to fight for the UFC. We yeah. were like, wait, is there a conflict of interest here? But I guess maybe she stepped down. Mike, um, we know the state of this division. There are, you know, there are women out there. That Amanda hasn't crushed yet. You know, we, as Aspen Lads coming back, we'll talk about that in a little bit he, here later. Um, you know, we got, I don't think Irene has taken, has gotten, has fought Nunes yet, uh, Irene Aldana. Realistically, she just beat number 12, Marion Renault. Misha Tate's very, very popular. How many wins to her title shot? I think one more win. Um, you give her someone that's within the, you know, top five like between top five to ten 
if she's able to beat that person, Misha Tate still has the name cachet that that's all she would need. Um, she was yeah. a former champion. She had lost. She had what, a two fight losing streak from when she lost. It was um, she lost to Nunes and then she lost the uh, decision against Pennington. Yeah. So it's not like she would be coming off a, a long, a uh, long losing streak or anything like that. I mean, I'm pretty um, confident Juliana Pena. I don't think it'll take them any I think Juliana Pena's got a title shot off one win right now, quite frankly. Yeah, Stefan, I was going to yeah. ask you the same question. And it's. I think we got a bit of a. Del- well, I was just going to finish saying that it, it's a combination. It's a combination of, um, the name recognition that Misha Tate has, and not necessarily that one thirty-five is thin, but it's not exactly heavy either. Stefan, one fight, or you think it's going to get another one after that? Um, it's probably fine with one fight, to be honest. Uh, if Misha wants it, just because former title contender, and we don't really need a risk killing any interesting matchups because i think we all thought retirement was a little closer for amanda than it seems to actually be you know it doesn't actually seem like she's really talking about it as much as i feel like we and other voices have talked about it for her so um yeah fresh kind of interesting matchups there's not a lot of them to be made right it's why amanda doesn't actually get to headline any card she's on she's always the co-main title fight because we haven't really put if not a compelling fight, at least one that even at least even interested us on paper. Yeah, abs- absolutely. Um, yeah. Also on this card, Jeremy Stevens lost his 18th UFC fight. Jeremy Stevens has been in the UFC a very long time. Um, I'm not gonna steal another. Yes, pod- I guess 34. He has 34 fights, right, in the UFC. Yeah, um, it's a lot. Um. I'm not going to steal another podcast bit, but I strongly recommend um, the uh, co-main event podcast talking about Drakkar. Close is – that's his name, right? I was mixing up with the other close. It's Drakkar, the one that Steven shoved, Drakkar. Um, yeah, you're close. Very good. <laughs> thank you, Mike. I got like a lag talking to you, and you're just doing fucking jokes. Um, but he, he the, the bit they did about, um, about close – on Twitter, shit talking Jeremy Stevens throughout this fight, which was only a minute long before he got tapped out, is is good shit. Uh, yeah, Mike, I, I didn't catch any of that, Bob, but I felt like it's one of those things. I just read the headline and move on with my life, but it yeah. gave me a chuckle because all the headline was like Jeremy Stevens says, "I don't care for any of that shit that Drakkar Close is about," and I'm like, not letting it go, huh, Jeremy? You shoved you, the guy, uh, but you're, you're still you're still not about that guy's bullshit, huh? All right, yeah, you injured the man. Um, anyway, um. Yeah, I didn't watch this card besides those top two fights. So, but seven straight finishes on the damn card, the entire main card. So it's kind of what you want from a fight card of little consequence. Um, MMA news this week. It's official, guys. Nick Diaz is back. Um, we talked about it last week. He'd be taking on uh, Robbie Lawler which I believe is at UFC 266, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Which will be headlined by Alex Volkanovsky versus Brian Ortega. Co-main event being Valentina Shevchenko versus Lauren Murphy. Um, And then Nick Diaz and Robbie Lawler are going five rounds. And Nick Diaz... What what everyone really wants to know, Bob, sorry to cut you off. Did Mike do his homework? Are you coming in with a full report? Did you watch? Did you watch the Nick fight? Nick Diaz yeah. and Robbie, like you said you would last week. We said you got fight pass all lined up. 
Easy search. I literally put. I literally put. I literally put the fight in a group chat I have with me. Him, so and we're me. handing in papers. We'll put it up on YouTube for free this week in honor of the announcement. Pass yeah. your papers forward. Does Michael Sanchez have a report I, I, to turn in? I this also. Week? I also put a GIF highlight reel in there too. I made it real easy. Ooh, we got a little cliff notes from Mikey B. Maybe got a little something. You see a little. <laughs> well. Let me give you a breakdown of the fight, and I didn't even watch the fight. Oh, okay. um, Jesus. Okay. Robbie Lawler had a full head of hair, right? You know barely. what, Mike? He might not have even been. <laughs> barely? Barely? Yeah, he was losing um, that fight a long time ago. Nick Nick Diaz was probably using a boxing-centric uh, uh, attack pattern against Robbie Lawler. Um, okay. And I'm assuming Nick Diaz won a split decision. Okay. Mike, let me just he got like none of it my right. week got busy. Yeah, all right? right. There's a Mike. little thing called there's a little thing called life, guys. All right. It kinda got the way we go getting off fight pass, all right? I literally put the video in your pocket. Look, <laughs> look, Mike, the only reason anyone's coming down on you is you made the boisterous claim. No one said you had to do this. No one said, hey, Wasn't Mike, a, you need to go watch it right a now. boisterous claim? I don't remember it being boisterous <laughs> you or vigorous your flag. or spirited at any level. One okay. giant step for Mike Sanchez is what you called it. I just want to say. I believe it was a non-committal, at best, non-committal assertion. I would watch the fight. Uh, Mike, do me a favor and leave and come back into this chat. This isn't an insult. You're you oh and me are having sinkage. You can ask outside the classroom. Go outside <laughs> the classroom for just a moment. Come right back in. I mean, I'm all uh, hating. <laughs> yeah, but while, while Mike's doing that, I was I was, I was putting the spotlight. He never said he was going to watch it, but I wanted to see if he saw it. Um, because you know, back in the day, it was a. It was I, I don't a know how you're part of the Nick Diaz uh, army without well, that. I'm sorry, Mark. In my timeline, Mike made a very boisterous claim. Yeah. Uh, that that's how it went in my timeline. I don't know how it played in your timeline, Look, man. I am part of the Nick Diaz army, but I'm like the Gomer pile of the Nick Diaz army. The casual. We're going to kick you out Nick of the Diaz Nick Diaz army. army. We took a picture with Nick Diaz. We did a. We stood in line to take a picture with Nick he Diaz. He was so goddamn high when we took that picture. He how did not know drunk? how to spell <laughs> Sanchez. I'm like, in my head, I'm like, bro, you're Mexican. <laughs> Never asked him to write a guy's name down before. What do you want from the man? Mike gets an extension. We'll give you a two-week ex- Not even next week, if you come in, you get extra credit for watching the fight. I appreciate that, Mark. No problem. I, I, nice. I put Mike on the spot. But, that, that was uh, just for giggles. But, Mike, even if you have to guess all over again, you got it completely wrong this time. So that, you know, eliminates some of the uh, possibilities. I heard this was going to be the co-main event at first, and I'm like, oh, they must have misspoke because there's two championship fights. Is there a chance my girl Valentina gets so disrespected, Stefan said it, that she is yeah. the third that's fight? A, that's the third fight. <laughs> that would be tragic. Good Lord. <laughs> Whoever her opponent is, it's not interesting, and that would be the reason why. Poor Lauren Murphy. It's true. Yeah, that's but not poor interesting. Lauren Murphy. <laughs> that's not interesting. Um, yeah, I'm excited, though. That's, that's going to be a big one. That's going to be in September. At the T-Mobile Arena. Ooh. Maybe I'll go to that. Me and the Nick Diaz Army. Maybe Mike will be there. If he, by that point, he's got his status, you know, confirmed. And they don't want to try to kick him out for never seeing the fucking fight that made this man. Um, All right. Let's pick this card. 
And by this card, I mean really the main event. And that's what I'm here to talk about. T.J. Dillashaw, about two and a half years ago, said he was going to go kill the flyweight division, move down from 135. And he did. Well, he, he, he made down to one. He went down to one twenty-five. He didn't kill anything. He got knocked out in thirty-eight his career seconds. Career a little bit. <laughs> he got knocked out in thirty-eight seconds. Um, and um, he cheated, got busted for EPO. And this isn't like I took a bad supplement. When you get popped for EPO, that was very much your intent. Which let me start first off and say, start off and saying, Mike, that's a mistake. If you're gonna cheat, you gotta have a. You you need an excuse. A viable excuse, and this was not this was not the way to do it. Well, if you get if you get caught with EPO, what excuse can you really give? Like, like you fell, tripped, and landed on the syringe full of oxygen, or whatever it is they use for EPO. No, I, I know he, the answer to this from TJ. Um, so I'll, I'll give you that in a second, Mike. A little preview of what I'll say. I was gonna say you should just you don't do EPO. Take Stanazol. Everybody takes Stanazol. It's in everything. It might be in the apple I ate earlier today. Like it's that's the way to go. But Stefan, go that, ahead. Isn't that isn't that like the steroids from like the eighties? Stanazol. That's it's the like, one Fajal gets caught with. Yeah, <laughs> it's from he the late nineties. In a in a syringe, you stick <laughs> it in the ass. Like uh, he does the real basic stuff. He's not on that high level uh, cream yet. Um, no, we kind of glossed over MMA news this week because admittedly it was light. But uh, one of the headlines again that I kind of laughed at was Mark alluded to this. Uh, have you heard talk about TJ? He offers no excuses. In fact. He says it doesn't matter. He acts like it's not a big deal that he did steroids. He's like, yeah, they didn't make me better, though. He's like, I'd be this good without him. He's like, you think I really would challenge tough people if I needed a boost? That guy has not owned up to his mistake whatsoever. It's almost, it's it's honestly, it's quite John Jonesian, to be honest. Like, TJ does not give a fuck that John, he cheated. John he does Jones not passes. like to talk about that he cheated. And he says, why are you bringing up that? I he, he's he's doing the why you bringing up old shit defense when you ask him about his EPO usage. Mike, you uh, want to get in if, here? If I may ask a, if I may ask a question, Steph, because it seems like you, you may have watched the 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 TJ propaganda shows that have been going on. Um, no, this is just TJ talking. If you give him oh, a mic, it's just no talking. show. This is just I, TJ being like, oh, well, no, I it watched, doesn't matter. I watched matters the pro- that I cheated. I watched a propaganda one, though, just to be clear. Mike, go ahead. Okay, so maybe I will direct the question towards you then, Bobby. Um, isn't the whole point of that propaganda tour for him to, like, smooth out the image and, you know, make it not seem as bad that he was caught with a shit ton of EPO in his system? Like, his his actual words just go completely against that. Yeah, it, it, it fails to do that. It's... He looks like an asshole. It's TJ came off like an asshole before this, and TJ still comes off like an asshole. It's not that complicated. And look, we've on this podcast have made our feelings differently, almost a little bit different uh, about what we feel about you know steroids or cheating, uh, drug test and MMA. The universal thing we all say is you probably shouldn't have agreed to follow these rules if you weren't going to follow the rules. So he has tainted every championship win he's ever had, yada, 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 depending on how you view it. And you say he cheated this one time or he's been cheating for the entire time. If you ask some of his teammates, his former teammates at Team Alpha Male, uh, they think he was on shit the whole time. But anyway, he's back. He was supposed to come back, I think it was two months ago, and he got a real bad cut um, to fight Corey Sandhagen, a former teammate from a different camp who doesn't like him. 
So TJ's just making friends all around. Um, this fight got delayed a little bit, but so TJ's been out of the octagon, I think it was January of 2009, if I'm not mistaken. Um, no, no, no. 2009, no? Bobby. It's been over a decade since we've seen this man. 2019. 2019, sorry. 2000, was it January though? Yes. Let's go with that. Okay, January 2019. Um, two and a half years not fighting. In the meantime, the whole division's changed and gotten much better. Quite frankly, lots of good contenders. One of them, as I mentioned, former teammate of his, uh, Corey Sandhagen, who I believe is ranked number two, right behind uh, Aljamain Sterling, the best goddamn bantamweight champion ever, and uh, Peter Yan. Let's just fucking get into it and make our picks. The betting odds for this one, though, Stefan, do you have him? I do, um, and as we've previously stated, I do not respect FanDuel betting lines, so we will not be using those. Um, but we'll use the MGM Grands betting lines. Why? Because a lot of fights are there, so we've been to that bookie a shit ton of times. Why not use their lines? But that uh, said, uh, the line for Corey Sandhagen is the slight favorite, well, more than slight favorite, at minus 185 to TJ's plus 155. Um, I'm going to give my two cents here real quick. Um, I'm not sure I would pick TJ in this fight if he wasn't coming off of two and a half years off. Um, TJ was a really good fighter, but uh, these new guys, they're very... They, he, TJ was like the only one with power. I remember at 135. It was mostly him and Burrell. These guys all hit hard. And uh, Sanhagen is a very, very good fighter. And he's coming off of... That disgusting knockout of Frankie Edgar. Um, not the Frankie still Frankie, but goddamn, he killed him with that knee in 28 seconds. Looked upset that he did it. Um, I'm, I'm all for Corey Sandhagen getting this win here and maybe getting a title shot. Um, depending on how when we get Aljamain and Jan actually back in the cage. But yeah, I got, uh, I got Sandhagen here. Stefan, what do you think? Um, I got TJ Dillashaw. Uh, you know, um, Fair enough. You, you alluded to it, Bob. Uh, you know, we all have a different feeling about performance. You choose to believe he was good because of EPO. I choose to believe because he spent his entire first championship paycheck on that hyperbaric chamber. No, none of us have a hyperbaric chamber for us to live in the way TJ Dillashaw does. That's why his blood is so oxygenated. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, when you look back at that, uh, TJ versus alpha male rivalry where, uh, What's his name? Uh, God, what's his name? (laughs) No. uh, Cody Garbrandt. Cody Cody Garbrandt. Uh, Mm. He's like, TJ's an asshole. And TJ's like, no, Cody's an asshole. And I think think we all know the answer is that everyone in that. Yeah, everybody's an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) We're all a bunch of assholes in that. (laughs) It's called Uh, alpha male. I mean, come on. They're all, they all think they're the best. (laughs) I just want to say Joseph Benavidez is in our podcast intro. It was very... Well, that's the one we we met. Him. Did we didn't he leave him. though. He left. He he. You left know what? A while ago. We met Chad Mendez and Uriah Faber. They're both nice to me. But that being said, everybody sure. looks like an asshole in the media. <laughs> but um, you know, I, I also uh, you know, a technical reason I'll pick him is you know, you talked about his power, but with TJ on his run, it really wasn't just about power. He fought good strikers. He had great time. He had great timing and precision. You know, his counters, his combos, like when he knocked Cody out Cody was coming off of the performance of his career he looked like he had the best and fastest hands in the division and his movement his timing he clowned the shit out of Cody in that first matchup 
So, you know, that's where the rust comes into play is will he be as sharp? Will he be able to do it at all? But, um, you know, he did lose to Henry, but we all saw how bad that weight cut was, right? We all saw that he never should have actually tried to make that weight class. He looked god-awful. He looked, he looked like the, what is it, the bantamweight version of uh, the one who cut uh, down Bob, you know, James Skeletor. Irvin? Yeah, James Irvin, the worst, one of the worst weight cuts I'd ever seen. And that's honestly what TJ looked like to me when he made it for the Henry. So he's back, you know, where he he made his glory in a better weight class for him. Um, You know, I could see him getting knocked out, sure. But I could also see him being the guy who was champion multiple times. Do you think he's going to get a knockout or you think he's going to get a decision? Um, I have to kind of believe that this goes to a knockout one way or another. Just because with that long layoff and apparently not having EPO, maybe TJ can't last long enough to go to a decision. Who knows? But if he wins, it's, I'd probably see a counter knockout of some kind. Mike? Yeah, so with this fight, the way I thought of it is, so far, whose ceiling in the octagon has been better? Hands down, it's been TJ Dillashaw. However, that comes with the caveat of, well, that ceiling was aided by EPO um, and everything possibly. that comes with that. Sure. Yeah, possibly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because he was only cheating for that one fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Much like, much like an unfaithful husband that gets caught cheating. Oh, no, baby. It was only this one time. Yeah, yeah. Sure it was. Okay. Well, Mike, one of the times it. has to be the first time. Yeah, I was going to say, if he got caught the first time, <laughs> time has to happen a first time before there can be more time. So there was a timeline where it was the first and only time he had cheated. At that yeah, point. yeah, that's definitely what happens. A guy who's never cheated not once immediately goes to EPO. He doesn't, there's no, you know, starter drug there. <laughs> Just right to, to EPO. To, to, use it equi- to use it equivalent. Um, a guy that just starts cheating doesn't start with the orgy, okay? Like, well, here's he the argument for the, why he goes with the one night stand in the motel, all right? Oh, no, he no. Okay. Penis in Def- the sink, and then he gets into bed, all right? Def- defending TJ, <laughs> defending TJ. No, he is the guy who goes from zero to 100. Because what did I say after he get his first championship paycheck? He bought the speedboat. He bought the giant house. He bought the hyperbaric chamber. Of course, he's like, what's the fanciest steroid I can use? Not some basic shit. No, he's the guy who actually went into debt after becoming champion because he blew it all because he's new money. Let me tell you, I did not see I did not see that uh, hyperbaric chamber in the videos. And I was like, oh, no, did he have to sell it? Because he hasn't fought in two years. Like I said, he went into debt because he spent way too much money thinking that championship reign would reign for years. Uh, (laughs) Who's your pick, man? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I am still going to be picking Dillashaw in in this fight just because while he won't be the same as he was um, while he was on EPO, I'm I'm of the camp where I'm just assuming that most of his title, title run was uh was tainted by EPO. So I'm gonna assume that his highs aren't gonna be as good anymore. But he still has great move he still has great movement that he showed when he was fighting last. Um I don't think in that aspect the division has passed him by. I still think he has a really big leg up on there. Um and those I think it'll be a close fight. And mind you, I, I wanna win, you know, so if you pick one, I got to pick the other in certain situations, you know? I got to hedge my bets, baby. 
You're muted, bud. Mark, do it to me. Yeah, I knew. I knew it was coming to me. I'm the last one. Um, I want to thank Mike and Stefan. I thought this was going to be a one-sided affair, which I was also going to Me too, man. <laughs> I've been, um, I mean, look, it's been two years. I'm sure we picked up lots of new fans mm-hmm. who don't know, you know, the long history I have with TJ Dillashaw riding and dying uh, with that guy. And, you know, I guess over the last two years, it's died out a little bit because I am picking Corey. Um, and it's not really <laughs> because of the cheating. Um, it has most to do with the two-year layoff is a subnatural you know is, is a, a good long amount of time and, and like bob said we've seen this particular division explode with new talent and Corey sanhagen has has been that guy you know i think if matchups were placed differently if he got to fight a little bit more frequently he could easily in my eyes be holding that championship right now i think he's just as good as peter yawn i think he's better than sterling um i think he's extremely dynamic and with that dynamic stature he the thing that couples with it and makes it so impressive is outside of just being able to do the a range of different types of techniques, which he's been extremely well versed in. He has the timing down. He he knows when to throw the f- flying knee. He knows when to throw the spinning c- uh, kicks and such. Um, he's been extremely impressive in this run. I think it's going to be a really good fight. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm not going to be upset if TJ pulls this off. I think if if TJ comes out after two years and beats Corey Sanhagen, I would be thoroughly impressed. Um, it's just a long Dominic time. Cruz shit, man. If he pulls that off, that's some Dominic Cruz yeah. shit. I'm, oh, I mean, I think it's better than Dominic Cruz because I think Corey Sanhagen is worlds better than was it Mizugaki? No, Dominic. I'm talking about Dominic beat TJ after two years off. He lost. He spent another two years after that. Okay. After he got a, <laughs> Yeah, it's hard to remember his stints, but I, I mean, I honestly, Corey in my eyes could easily be holding the belt right now. This is, you know, this is number one contender status for sure in my eyes. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be really close. I think it's going to be a really fun matchup because TJ, I, you have to assume in this time off, he's got to heal. He's got to rest up a bit. You know, when he was champion, he was a fighting champion. He was pretty consistent throughout his championship reign. And, you know, I think obviously it was ill-advised for... Uh, I still don't to this day understand why he wanted to go to 125. I mean, you, you really have to understand when you're coming in at 135 and he was cutting to make that weight to basically lose like another 20% of your weight to get down to 125 was insane, you know, and 10, I mentioned it way back then. Is a lot of weight when you're only 135. That's, That's what I'm saying. Like, it's like weight. 20% of your body mass. Yeah. He, he's cutting to do that. I, I always thought it was insane, you know. And and when he popped, it was like, well, that's the only thing that makes sense. Because naturally, I don't understand how this man who's already extremely cut, has very little fat on him, is going to lose 10 more pounds without taking organs out. So, you know, and, and I think the performance he had there it was not indicative of the skill level that he's at, but just how much that weight cut drained him. And that being said, you know, it's just, it's been a long time. You know, I think this game, especially at 135, has been evolving and changing. And it's going to be interesting to see how he comes in here and competes with, you know, what I consider to be one of the very best guys of this division. So I'm going with Corey. I think it's going to be super competitive. If TJ wins this fight, uh, fuck Peter. I I was going to say, fuck Peter Yon. He should get the title shot. But like, Peter Yon got so fucked out of that. They have to say that. Okay, wait. Peter Yon didn't get fucked out. Peter Yon did that to himself on every level. True. Everyone yeah. got fucked in that fight, I guess. But, I mean, that they have to have that fight. We need to, you know, uh, Sterling needs to defend that. We need to get a clear answer on who is the best out of those two. And I think whoever wins this fight is clearly number one after that. They have to get that next title shot. Um, And if and if that's TJ, if he wins here, he deserves it because yeah, Corey's right be, there. Well, if you beat that guy, if he beats Sandhagen, it's going to be hard to deny him. Yeah, my only disappointment in this would be if it was not a good fight. That's what I'm here for. This it's is going to so be a goddamn hard. banger. With Corey, I mean, T- one, 
I don't think either of these guys have really. I mean, you'd have to go back into the annals of TJ before he really got his striking regiment up to have him have a boring fight. And Corey, I have not seen it. So it, it would be unfathomable to think that there'd be five rounds where these guys don't go after it and have an entertaining performance. That would honestly, Bobby, that would be such a bummer. If this is a snoozer and they're just staring at each other for five rounds, I will be devastated. Yeah. Um, Mike had we'll a little see. nugget. Mike had a little nugget. I saw that finger. You got a little nugget for us. I, I yeah, mean, just I, uh, it, it'll be hard for Dillashaw. I mean, Sanhagen, he's knocked out, what, two top five uh, flat, um, bantamweights in his last two fights. So to Mark's, to Mark's point, that dude, is a, that dude is a monster. Word on the street is uh, when these guys train together, TJ was getting his ass whooped. Just saying. That's what the word on the street is. That we got a Chuck Liddell Tito Ortiz situation with these two. But um Marcus, you're aware that Aljamain Sterling beat uh Sandhagen in ninety seconds, right? Yeah, with the grappling. That 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 was and that was impressive. No, I, I mean you I, said that you you said he's that better than him. I'm like, he might be, but the first fight is not indicative of in that. In my at all. head, he's always better. But you're you're right. I absolutely completely forgot about that <laughs> fight. He took him down and subbed him super quick. <laughs> Yeah, that was but. that was Aljo at his peak. Aljo was like, "I'm fucking dudes up this way now. This is it." Um, yeah, we got Aljo. I know got neck surgery, but not like broken neck neck surgery. Just cleaning shit up, I guess. If we can get that fight before um, the winter, and probably a miracle, but that I think this fight, whoever wins this fight, might be sitting around if we don't. Uh, if it's you know that yeah. takes a little longer, but that's good. That's a that's a big one, man. That's I've been waiting. The second they book this fight, we all get excited. Corey is way bigger than him, by the way. Like he's five eleven, and I think TJ's is five six, maybe five seven. How does he get down to that weight? Skinny dude, man. It's like Tim Elliott was that size, and he was somehow making one twenty five. Um. All right, the other fight we're picking is Aspen Lad. First fight since she tore her shit up. Um. I think it was two years ago she tore her ACL and MCL, or two years ago was the last, last fight, year. but she tore, yeah, she tore her ACL and MCL. Taking on Macy Chiasen, who trying to run that UFC record. Um, goddamn, she got a lot of wins. She's, she's an ultimate fighter winner. Did anybody know that? She was? <laughs> anybody know that? Did anybody know what? that this woman is an ultimate fighter winner until I just mentioned? And in, in, in fairness, one of these... have any of have any of us watched an episode of the Ultimate Fighter in the last seven years? Five Maybe. and one in the UFC. Anyway, stuff on betting odds. Uh, yeah, Aspen is coming in at a pretty solid favorite at minus two hundred to Macy's plus one sixty five. You gotta imagine that'd be closer to three or four if she wasn't, you know. Coming off of her torn apart knee. Look, I'm not familiar enough with Macy to pick her. And as I've mentioned, I haven't been able to in a year or so. Aspen Lad, the best MMA Instagrams. Just her walking with her dogs. That's it. Yeah, I got Aspen Lad. Um, I got, it really says something that she's still ranked number three in the division. After not fighting for this long. Says that the division's rankings are broken. Probably. But yeah, she, people think very highly of her. So, um, I mean, what was her, who did she, she come up. She got who knocked her out. Um, Jermaine and knocked her the out. Random yeah, yeah, and then she beat uh, Yana Kunitskaya. Bounce back from that. She's still incredibly young, twenty six years old, uh, out of Folsom. Um, but yeah, I got Aspen Lad. Steph. 
I'm taking Aspen. I'm just not familiar with Macy at all, let alone her tough accolades. Um, I will say when I looked her up, her, her record is surprisingly good. They actually have like identical records, right? Are they both eight and one, nine and one abouts? Um, and yeah, you know, you can't even say there's like, well, there's nobody on uh, Macy's record because she's among the handful of fighters who sent uh, Marion Renault into retirement uh, with that being her last win. So um, I'm not familiar with her whatsoever, but, you know, looking at her record, it's like it's one of those if she beats Aspen Ladd, she's the prospect now, right? She, she takes all that heat uh, for herself with that win. So yeah, only 29 um, years old. So. Yeah, for not being familiar with her, it's a really big stage for her. So I'm taking Aspen because she's the prospect I'm familiar with. But it'd kind of be cool if this other girl comes and steals all that. Uh, Misha fighting um, either of these young women. I mean, I'm not sure you want to kill a contender, but I mean, but they're both very young. So I think those would be good fights. Um, Mike, who do you got? Yep, I'm going with Aspen as well. Um, I'm not as impressed with uh, Macy's uh, record as um i think steph might be i mean yeah she's she's won a lot of fights and i mean she knocked out sarah Moraes like her first or second fight in the ufc not exactly nice. like something to write home about um that's true you tell them, you, that's true you don't write home about that you drive there and tell them in person that you beat the legend sarah Moraes. Yeah. mike put some yeah. respect on her name but honestly uh, you're right mike who gives a shit about eight and one with like five ufc wins whatever <laughs> whatever <laughs> but you see dems dems is empty calories stuff all right whole bunch of decision wins no one cares about no decision wins all right we're trying to see knockouts baby not a lot right? of those in the women's divisions and that's and to that point, that's what Aspen Ladd normally does. She has a fair amount of power, um, and I think even with a year off, um, she's still one of the tops in this division. Marcus, clean sweep. Yeah, it's a sweep. Um, unfortunately, you know, I'm as ignorant as all the rest of us with Macy, which is which is unfortunate. You know, I, I don't like picking fights where it's just I'm not familiar with the other combatants, so I, I'm not comfortable picking them. But what I will say is this is a great stage for her. I mean, look at where Bobby was ragging on the card. There's ragging to be had. This isn't the strongest card in the world. It is a fight night. Um, but this is a co-main event. You know, this is where there's going to be some eyes on her. And, and particularly for what I care for, my eyes will be on it. I'll watch this fight, and this is going to be, you know... These fighters that have impressive records that are, you know, prospects in their own right, you know, they get these moments to shine where, you know, it's very easy to get bogged down in these cards. You know, like this card, there's like, what, 12 fights, you know, we're only going to watch a few of them. So there's a lot of talent on here that we don't see and don't get to analyze. And this is kind of her shot to kind of make a statement, a, a win over Aspen Ladd makes a statement for sure. You know, her keeping her ranking at three, I personally think is just bad bookmaking or rankings overall i mean you shouldn't be that inactive and st still keep your spot that high um but this is a huge opportunity for her to you know really come into the public's eye and, and make a statement here i think if she wins this fight you know she potentially is in title contention and i don't think a bad matchup is her and misha tate potentially for number one title but um i, I do think aspen lad's gonna win this she's shown enough to to convince me that she is credible and will be able to beat macy but um you know i'm really guessing against the unknown so we're also a couple other names on this card. Macy Barber, her second fight since her she tore her shit up. Mm -hmm. Um she lost. See, that's honestly, really Bobby, that's honestly I, I used to get the two of them mixed up as the both the Uber prospects and they both, you know, were knocking people out, then suddenly lost, tore yeah, their Macy, knees up. Macy's the mean one, or she used to be. She used to talk shit. And now she came back, she said she's not gonna talk shit. I'm like, it's half the reason I liked you. Um 
Macy's coming back. Her she lost a really close one, or what did she won one? I think it was she lost two one to Grasso, if I remember correctly. In that one, someone correct me if I'm wrong. But I remember that fight being relatively close. Her first fight back um, from injury, fighting again. Um, this time taking on uh, Miranda Maverick. We also have Darren Elkins still getting that UFC paycheck. He's on this I card. The name. Miranda Maverick. <laughs> that is a superhero name. The MM. Yeah. That's a that is a superhero name. Uh, Mickey Gall, who we learned has the only true victory over CM Punk, because Mike Jackson got that got high, smoked that weed, failed that drug test, got a no contest. So like Mickey the Olympics Gall, told us, has a performance enhancer. Hell yeah! Um, I mean, against against CM Punk, it's got to be because you're so excited and CM Punk it calms you down. <laughs> you I mean, he did to- seem high. He was having way too much fun beating the shit out of that guy. He's <laughs> waving to the audience <laughs> while he's beating the shit out of him. Um. And Sajara Eubanks um, is on this card. One of the curtain, not the curtain jerking, but second fight out. Um, last time her name was in the news was for her partner accusing her of some horrible things. Hopefully that all resolved itself. Um, yeah, I think they have fans going to this one. You can like sign up and like there's like a drawing and a handful of people can go. I think it's a contest. They, they had they had fans at this last one. I don't know if you noticed. It's they're at the apex, but they put like the tough bleachers out there, and they got like twenty people. So you get a little pop every I now think and like then. A, which is like better a than drawing nothing, but. or like yeah, some sort of fan thing. Because I mean, they're um, they have another one next week, which is Uriah Hall and Sean Strickland. That's another banger, quite frankly. Um, at the apex, and I don't know if we're still. I, I think someone said they're going to be at the apex for the rest of the year. It's going to look real weird them doing that. But I, I don't know how often, I guess how far in advance you need to book this stuff. Um, and I'll just say this. People who are new MMA, fan, MMA fans, if you want to know what it was like being an MMA fan back when there was like maybe 25 UFC fights a year, five cards, what you do is all these fight nights in the middle of the pay-per-views, you take the top two fights and that was on one fight night card. That's basically what it was. All this shit, this TJ fight, that Makachev fight, the fight next week with Hall and Strickland, this all would have been one fight night. Back in the day. Once upon anyway. a time, Dana White said he would never mimic the boxing model of one or two fight fight cards. That has uh, long since passed that dream of yesteryear. I remember there was a card a few weeks ago where someone said, if you, there was an LFA card too, an LFA card had a bunch of old UFC fighters, and someone said, if you switch the title of these two fight cards, which one's better? And you're just like, Oh yeah, we're just watching UFC anything. <laughs> so what, that's what, it was like I James mean, Vick on the other card. You're like, yeah. Like, like Mark and I pointed out about the last pay-per-view mm. when uh, that kid, uh, Chris Moutinho, was signing the poster. And we didn't know who he was or what he looked like. And he's talking to some other guy signing the poster. We're like, who's either of these guys signing the poster? Why are you signing it? Your names definitely aren't on it. But yeah, there's yeah, a lot I, of... Uh, I saw Moutinho on the Pat McAfee show because they were just amazed by a man's face could take that much damage. And I was like, good for him, man. Getting some national press. You know, <laughs> it's good to see. Eat up those 15 um, minutes. They don't last forever. I mean, he, he says he signed a four-fight deal with the UFC. So they'll be cutting him after fight number two or three. It's my guess. Depending just how bad the cumulative ass kicking he takes over these next three fights. He didn't look like a large man. I suggest going down in weight class, personally. But just saying. Um, but yeah, um, no Bellator this week. Um, they're going to be back next week, which I am, Marcus, I'm more excited for this fight uh, Bellator's putting on uh, between AJ McKee and uh, Patricio Pitbull than any fight outside of the UFC, easily. This is, 
This is the one where I get where I get the Showtime trial going, so I can watch this one. Yeah. That is AJ, the best fight they can do. Yeah, AJ is really has proven himself over the years. You know, we we knew he was the son of uh, Anthony McKee, who is a, a great fighter, relatively unknown to the masses, um, and doesn't really fight like his father at all. You know, has a very different skill set. And the, but I think in this last tournament, this is the final of the tournament. He really showed that you know he's of the talent and level to compete at the highest level. And you know. I, I don't think it's it'll be too long before we see him in the UFC. I think he has the charisma and the star power that the UFC would want to pick up on and, and, and pay some dollars for it, especially if he beats Pitbull. If he beats Pit, Pitbull, that's a huge feather yeah, in his I don't, crap. I don't let this kid leave. I throw enough money. I make him my new Michael Chandler. Yeah. I, think I mean, incredible. they could use it. Bellator has lost some you know, of their original talent, and McKee is someone that they've been kind of grooming for a long time. This will be a huge test for him. But, yeah, they'll be very excited to break down next week. I'm not sure, uh, Mike, if you remember AJ's dad, Antonio Mickey. You and I used to watch him on HDNet fights and Access TV fights. He was just laying and praying, motherfuckers, every two or three months. He rang off, I think at one point it was 20 straight wins or something like that. Just laying and praying on dudes. And he gave him, they, and then everybody bitched at the UFC enough for him to get one fight. And then he got lay and prayed by Jacob Bulkman. And then Joe Silva cut his ass right, <laughs> right, right when it was uh, over. <laughs> I will tell you right now, Bobby, I think you're referring to the days of Access TV when we lived together in law school. Yeah, yeah I wasn't that big a fan that I was giving more than a cursory glance at what you were watching. That's true. Only when Aoki was fighting and snapping arms. That's what we watched. <laughs> that was always fun. Um, yeah, that's a that's the... I'm very excited for that. And the UFC is putting on another one fight card next week, but and PFL has announced they're going to do pay per views and a challenger series, which has confirmed with all of us that it doesn't pay to be different in MMA. You just got to do the same thing as the fucking UFC. So anyway, let's do stuff we like. Um, let's end with Loki, or because it's everything else out of the way first. I'm just going to say I watched uh, the Money in the Bank pay per view, and it was a good show. I went one for two with my Money in the Bank winner picks. Really thought Liv Morgan was going to win that shit. Really, I thought I was more confident about the Liv Morgan one than I was about the Big E pick. Um, and uh, John Cena came back and everybody lost their mind. That was real cool. So WWE sending going out to SummerSlam with Cena Reigns, probably Goldberg and Lashley. That might have happened on TV while we were recording this. Um, Edge and Rollins, maybe Charlotte Flair, Becky Lynch. Mike, yes. Uh, so I just saw on Instagram that Goldberg came out and, um, Keith Lee came out as well. Good to know Keith Lee so is back. You're look- <laughs> so you're looking for some big hosses to, uh, challenge uh, Bobby Lashley. It might be one of those two. Yeah. Sounds like that's happening. So the w- WWE is trying to fill up 65,000 seats in that new Vegas stadium. I really want to go to that stadium. It looks so cool, but, uh, I'm not going to SummerSlam. I'm not going to roll the dice that the air conditioning fails in August in Las Vegas and we all die inside that, that place. Goddamn. Um, that's all I got this week. I don't know what else. I mean, we'll talk about Loki at the end. That was great. Uh, Mark? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got a few quick hits. Um, I would be remiss. I should have mentioned it last week. Um, Streets of Rage 4 had DLC that dropped uh, this past week. It was called Mr. X's Nightmare. As far as DLC for like, you know, independent games like Street of Rage 4, which is, you know, like it was like a $15 game. I didn't really expect much, but uh, they did add three new characters. Um, and to be fair, it, it, 
the selection was a little disappointing just because these were assets they already had from the game. They basically picked three characters that were bosses and converted them to playable characters. Um, Axel and Shiva, who were actually, you know, originally in Streets of Rage 2 and 3. Um, and then I think the other one was Estel. Um, she was a boss that they created originally for Streets of Rage 4. But I just have to say, Streets of Rage 4, when it came out last year, was, I think I said it then, and I'll reiterate now, easily one of the best beat-em-ups. Um, and that really came into light for me when uh, I had people over and we played four people local co-op. What a fun beat-em-up, you know. I, they're... This genre has gotten a little bit of a second life with smaller indie companies taking a stab at it. I mentioned, you know, last year, uh, River City Girls is another great one. Scott Pilgrim came back, but uh, Street Rage 4 definitely stands on its own. And this DLC is quite expansive. You know, outside of just having these three extra characters, there's actually a fourth. You can unlock Rue, who is the kickboxing kangaroo from Streets of Rage 3. Um, they added moves to all the characters that you can unlock by playing as the characters and leveling them up, essentially. Um, they added new weapons, new stages, I think some new enemies as well. Um, for $8, I've been thoroughly impressed, and it, it's been fun to jump back into just like a top-tier beat-em-up. What are you, really what are you playing it on? It. Uh, it, it's on PS4. I think it's on basically all the systems, including Switch, but for some reason, the DLC hasn't come to Switch yet. I think that might have been like a technical issue. I think I heard an article that the developers were working on it or something there's some kind of snafu but you can basically play it on pretty much anything i mean i think so i think switch delays just sounds like you know they just they couldn't get their shit together because they're all there shaking in their boots about the steam deck that's what it sounds like to me well a nice transition i, I did want to mention for you, brother. briefly yeah i did want to mention briefly that um this has been long rumored uh you know there's been a lot of rumors um that valve the people that control steam which is one of the major clients for people uh downloading digital games uh on pc was coming out with a kind of portable version. So when they announced the Steam Deck, it wasn't the most surprising thing in the world. I think a lot of people have heard these rumors for a while, but it still was very interesting to see it, you know, the design of it, its capabilities. Uh, I think it's very interesting that it's it's a much more open platform than something like the Switch or consoles, really, which are closed off. You can't, you know, um, download whatever apps you want. They have to be certified from Sony. That means, you know, certain things don't get through. The UFC doesn't have an app on PlayStation 4, which is disappointing. Um, and I think its announcement is timed really interesting, too, because at the same time, there's been lots of rumors about another iteration of the Switch, which they just announced before Steam Deck, that their new model is just called Switch o uh, OLED, which basically just has an OLED screen. The screen's a little bit bigger. I think the um, the little dashboard thing they can put in has Ethernet in it already which is nice features and for me honestly as someone that had a playstation vita an oled screen is fucking nice like oled's pretty fucking cool like having a vita i remember being like man like i can't believe how much these colors pop so i don't think this is a bad upgrade but i think for the masses it was disappointing a lot of people were expecting a kind of 4k machine that's going to be able to at least rival with what's now considered the past generation of the ps4 and xbox one and to have a system that doesn't really have a lot more horsepower, I think really disappointed people. I think a lot of people are looking at the next uh, Breath of the Wild and thinking like, man, this thing is still not going to run super great on this because Breath of the Wild didn't run super great on the Switch. So to have this next version potentially still not run well, I think a lot of people were hoping they would have a version that would be a little beefier that could run these games a little bit better. You know, I think there's especially a lot of people in the PC realm where... 30, 30 frames per second is not acceptable. You know, you're doing 60 or you're not doing it right. So to not have that big leap with the Switch, I think was disappointing. So I think 
announcing this Steam Deck, which is a lot of people have been, you know, calling it the Switch Pro or, you know, what what Switch should have been. I mean, you um, can run emulators on it, for God's sake. <laughs> I mean, and that's and I it being an open platform is it's I gonna think, one be of the a switch that makes it. People are gonna yeah, turn it into a switch. It, it'll be better because there's lots of things that people have been like. I wish they had GameCube games or N64 games on the Switch. You know, they have a Nintendo and Super Nintendo library that you get when you ba- when you play when you uh, pay for the online. But you know, this Steam Deck is going to be able to emulate basically. I mean, I would think everything up to the PS2 era. I think PS3 and, and beyond gets a little tough to emulate even with the the rig that's on the Steam Deck. But even then, your your whole Steam library that, you know, if you ever dipped a toe into PC gaming, you probably had a Steam account. You probably racked up a bunch of games you never played on the summer sale. I know I did. Um, and as someone that doesn't play a lot of PC games, but there is a lot of games on PC that I can't play because I don't have a, you know, a gaming rig or an Xbox console. You know, all that stuff comes out on Steam and on PC so it, it is very intriguing. You know, it'll be interesting to see kind of how it does, how it sells, you know, if there's any issues. I, one of the things I was concerned about, which they're saying that they think they're going to be able to avoid is the Joy-Con drift or the analog drift that has plagued the Switch and PS5 and other systems. So it'll be interesting. You know, I'm definitely keeping an eye on it. It's probably not something I'm going to get right out of the gate. But, you know, down the road when I need something to play PC games on, this is a viable option that's not quite as you know expensive or quite as you know taxing setting up wise is getting like a full gaming pc rig or a gaming laptop i i think the portability is really nice i think it looks good you know the buttons the joysticks look of you know high quality i think it's interesting they added the um r4 and 5 buttons that are basically your ring finger and pinky finger so i think it's doing a lot of interesting things it'll be interesting to see uh you know how it fares when it comes out later this year yeah i wouldn't buy it until i saw a review just saying, Steam has put some yeah. other shit out too, and nobody did it. They got it, and you know. Yeah, Steam has threw out a lot of things, and not everything is stuck. I think they don't do the Oculus; they do the other one, the other VR set, which I'm totally blanking on. But, There's a reason know, that, you don't remember it. I, the Index or something. I think it was called the Index. Um, but like it, they put out good stuff, but not everything sticks. And it seems like this has the kind of fervor where it could potentially be something really interesting. So yeah, I, I think give it a year. See where it's at, and maybe I'll dip a toe in. All right, Stefan, what do you got this week? Yeah, I think we're you know, we're saving Loki for the end. Um, on the uh, anime front, uh, we recently wrapped what is considered the spring season of anime. It is the two three weeks into the summer season of anime now. Um, I've mentioned this YouTube channel in the past. Uh, it's called uh, My Mother's Basement. Um, and uh, yeah, this dude, he he does really great in-depth breakdowns, but what he does a couple weeks into every season, what I usually wait for is uh, he gives you his new anime to watch this season. Um, he's really good at breaking down, like, you know, what you might like if you have different bucket of tastes, right? Are you looking for something more action-y? Are you looking for something more a slice of life, you know? So he, he really covers the full spectrum, puts out his list, mentions his favorites. Um, so I've checked out maybe the first episode of, like, four or five different series yet. Um, still too soon to see what's going to stick. The one I haven't checked out, but I will just mention, because it's interesting, because it's on Netflix, and I don't really watch a lot of anime on Netflix. What he said was Contender of the Year is it's called, like, godzilla like single state or single cell or something there's a godzilla anime 
on uh, Netflix right now, and he's saying it's one of the best of the year. So um, just mentioning that one in specific right now, because like I said, Netflix is not normally a platform I check out anime on. The last one I checked out was called Yasuke, which was supposed to be about the first black samurai. Um, I hated it. I absolutely hated it, like after one episode. So that didn't really sell me on Netflix, but um, always down to be proven wrong with something else. Um, so got that on that front. Uh, quick video game hit. Um, I finally signed up for PS Plus, so I was catching up on some old stuff. Uh, they give you a lot of free games now, which is pretty cool. Um, not just like the it used to be like one or two a month, but like they have a whole inventory back library now of like choose from a lot of these great games. The PS4 collection. Yeah, it's it's, it's nice. So. Um, I picked up one Mark mentioned, Virtua Fighter, because that was a fighting game I grew up on back in the arcades. It is pretty fun. It's kind of a little more intuitive. Um, and that kind of sparked my uh, my video, or my fighting game kind of like personal renaissance again. Because I haven't picked it up yet, but I'm damn near close to. Um, I've been watching a ton of videos for Guilty Gear Strive. Um, it looks really fucking fun to me. Um, I know Arc System Works is supposed to be like one of the best fighting game studios right now. Um, in terms of just how they do something, a lot of conversation has around this game has been how they streamlined a lot of things to make it more accessible to casual fighting game players and not quite make it so, you know, time co- uh, consuming as it is for like the fighting game community where you have to invest hundreds, if not thousands of hours to actually get good at these games. Um, it's, apparently there's a lot more simple systems so, uh, you know, more casual people can pick it up faster and enjoy it. Um, I fucking love the soundtrack. Uh, so if you're familiar with the series, it's a very anime style and it is just J-Rock, like, hype music for all the songs. It is a fantastic soundtrack because, yeah, if obviously I just recommended you anime. And if you watch anime, you'll love every stage song. It's got some wacky-ass English lyrics in there that are really funny. But it's, again, if you've, if you've ever liked anime, it's got, it really hits all those, like, things that you, it checks all the boxes of why you like anime in the first place. So, um, yeah, I've been watching fighting game tournaments of it. Uh, old footage of Max Million Dude doing his online days dedicated to it. Um, so I haven't picked it up yet, Mark. I don't know how you know much it's on your radar, but I- I'm pretty getting itchy about maybe buying it. Yeah, no, uh, Strive. I've heard really good things about. It, it is one of those things where it is. I mean, I-, I totally agree with you. It reminds me. It would be like the evolution of uh, like Street Fighter Alpha Three with like they have this stupid crazy announcer it just says like the most gibberish i mean i think i saw a youtube video was fake where just had him saying like stupid stuff like let's go alabama stampede it's like what are you talking about but there's just a lot of fun energy and and obviously arc system works they're the guys that did the dragon ball fighters games they're making some of the best like 2d art assets um and this game shines like no other and and it, it is a game that i think for casuals is a little difficult because you're talking not not just like talking about doing moves doing cancels there's these things called like roman cancels and it, it there's a lot of terminology that can that can put you off but i have heard the onboarding's pretty good i think it also uses rollback netcode which means the online is very stable and good um so i'm looking forward to it for evo but personally guilty gear has for my personal taste it's 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 a little too anime for me it's just a little too much i don't i can't get in into these characters cuz they're a little too fa- fantastical but um i'm looking forward to watching it at evo it looks really fun Right on. Stefan, you got anything else? Uh, that's it until we get to the main topic, yeah. And Mike, sir, what do you got this week? Uh, yeah, I'll keep mine uh, briefer so that we can just really, I guess, dig into Loki. Um, it's a show that has already been canceled and has 
was not able to be picked up by Netflix that apparently people swear by and is in Netflix top 10. Uh, it's a show called Manifest. Um, I decided to start watching it about two or three days ago. It's a show where this flight is coming back from Jamaica and um, they hit some turbulence and then they end up landing and they discover that five and a half years have gone by while they were in the air. And that's basically the premise of the show and like people adjusting to that, you know, we're like, you know, people's lives moved on and um, people have developed like supernatural powers when it comes to like hearing voices in their head, which lead them to, to right wrongs and, you know, things like that. Um, I'm about seven episodes in and I think if I had ever actually watched it when it was on NBC, I probably would have watched it um, every week as it came out. It's so far been a pretty compelling show. Um with a with a very good cast of people I've never heard of before, um, so that's always been very entertaining when a show is just really good and it's not just based off you know that it's people that you've seen before. Um, it's just really good writing. Um, the supernatural stuff isn't too hokey and and corny yet, so I uh, I appreciate that. For some reason, my Netflix actually just started playing out of nowhere. I had to stop that. Uh, but when you guys have a moment, um, give Manifest a shot. You should be able to find it on Netflix. Right on. All right, folks. Um, Loki finished this past Wednesday. Um, we're going to talk about it. And if you haven't seen it, um, this is where we say goodbye. So thank you for listening. We'll be back next week to talk about Corey Sandhagen, TJ Dillashaw winner, and Bellator. But yeah. In... And uh, let's get into it, though. People sticking around. Stefan, go ahead and let you spearhead this. Loki, go out, yeah. out there and ex- making the folks happy with a season finale of consequence, quite frankly. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think coming off of the other two shows, a big thing we kind of have been saying to ourselves is to kind of curb our expectations in terms of, you know, what we think these shows are necessarily going to be used for. Right. But um, I think what this show ended up doing was it well, it went and gave us what we actually wanted. We want consequence. We want stakes. Like, look, we're the super fans, right? If we're the ones following the shows week to week, we're the ones who really love the movies. Um, and that said, you know, kind of um, I unequivocally loved the Marvel Universe, even the worst parts of the MCU. I still like more than most movies because it's still comic book superheroes for me, particularly Marvel. Um, that said, when I tend to be a little harsher, I, I, it, it is from a kind of a loving critical place of just because the source material is oddly, you know, is often near and dear to me. So I, I'll be a bit more nitpicky in my complaints because I overall love it so much. Um, that said, uh, I've found at least, you know, when I've talked about some of y'all or buddy Eddie who uh, watched it, um, you know, Mark got, saw it ahead of me and one of the first questions I asked him is like, you know, no spoilers, but do you think they landed the ending? And I don't know if this is how Mark necessarily felt or if he was just playing it coy to not, you know, tip his hat too much. But he's like, you know, I, I think they did a pretty good job um, because after I watched it, uh, I told Mark they fucking knocked it out of the galaxy, in my opinion. Um, to me, this Loki series is top five MCU content. Like, I hold it to such high esteem because... This show was 
absolutely everything I wanted these Marvel TV shows to be. It One, it was really fucking weird, which is what was the appeal of WandaVision to me, right? They're going to do something different, experimental, that looks unlike any of the myriad of movies or TV shows we'd seen to this point, and they na- knocked it out of the park. Um, we got the consequence, like you said, right? We're establishing one of the probably most important additions to the Marvel Universe and... Um, you know, in, in in the character we got, uh, that is um, Jonathan Power. Is that his name? Am I saying it right? Or no? Mayors, I think. Right? Mayors, Mayors, Jonathan not Mayors. Powers. Jonathan Mayors um, of uh, Lovecraft County fame on HBO, of which he's nominated for an Emmy. Um, he was a, I didn't realize till after the fact, it, it clicked with me. Uh, he's the co-star of An Indie Darling, which won a myriad of awards a couple years ago in The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Um, he's absolutely stunning as a dramatic actor in that movie. Um, so yeah, like his scene stealing, scene chewing thing, uh, performance at the end, I, I absolutely loved it. Um, and, and the other thing that I just absolutely need to shout attention to, um, and I'm glad I'm hearing her name a lot because this is the type of things that a lot of people can easily ignore. I mentioned what a banger of a soundtrack, uh, Guilty Gear Strive has, and I wanted to segue that into this because, um, you know, I tend to be the one who gives music recommendations uh, from time to time on stuff we like, and not to say the other fellas don't like music, they don't have their music they love. Um, I think I just maybe care about music just a little notch higher. Like, I, I really love digging into deep the compositions, the background, um, but who I'm talking about is the show's composer, uh, Natalie Holt. Uh, she's fucking phenomenal. This soundtrack is amazing. One of my nitpicking things throughout the MCU, non-memorable music. Even the Avengers theme, I don't think it's that distinguishable to be honest. I don't it's no Batman theme, it's no Superman theme, it's no Star Wars theme like where you just know the song, you know every beat of it. You could try to hum the Avengers song, you'd probably get like 70 to 80% correct, but you don't have it perfectly because it's not that memorable. Captain America's theme versus Iron Man's theme versus Black Widow's theme, can you even distinguish them in your head? But all the beats, all the soundtracks, whether the ending song, the mid credits, the the violin sad music beat, which circles back around as a remix. We had the classic Loki beat where they sampled uh, Flight of the Valkyries into the Loki theme to uh, really give it that extra oomph. Like I, the use of the theremin, most commonly associated with the original Star Trek soundtrack, just being such a science fiction kind of staple sound. Um, absolutely phenomenally adored the music on top of everything. Um, so yeah, I like I said, it's a top five Marvel property for me. Um, I put it up there with the best of anything Marvel's ever done. I absolutely loved it. Mike? So what were your thoughts on the the season finale? I guess not having very much in the way of action as you're normally used to with... Uh, with, you know, normal season finales for, for shows like this. Yeah, um, if you don't mind me taking this again, I know I just talked a lot, but I think it's one of the best parts about this show. Uh, because one thing, as I've rewatched all these Marvel movies countless times, I've done multiple rewatches of the MCU, um, there's something that Marvel fails at pretty much as equally often as they succeed, and that's the action, that's the third, the third, um, the third act action piece. A lot of times, they actually kind of feel a little unnecessary. A lot of times, they actually feel a little detached from the main story, where two-thirds, the weakest Marvel movies, they'll have two-thirds of good character development, but then that big set piece at the end, it just doesn't hit, right? Maybe the villain is inconsequential. 
you know, maybe, you know, like all the the bad guy version of Iron Man, the bad guy version of Ant-Man that we never see again. Like some of those third uh, those third act pieces, they don't always hit well. Um, I think that was kind of one of the big complaints about WandaVision, right, was do we need the laser show in the sky at the end? It actually felt like it took away from the series, which was dealing with such heavy philosophical and emotional beats. So um, it's one of those things where maybe you could get bored of it after a while. But if this show was primarily about two or three people talking in a room, that's one of the things I found utterly captivating and charming about it. It's because the actor quality was so good. Give me a verbal back and forth between Owen Wilson and Tom Hiddleston. That's better than any explosions and spells to me. So, um, you know, I don't know that you could do this long running, but for this series, I thought it worked being minimal in action. Because when you think of Loxy, he's mischief, right? He's the liar. He's the manipulator. So I don't need big explosions with this character. All the action was last episode. So they did a lot. I think that in a norm with a normal show, it may have been a huge disappointment just having an episode as the season finale where it's primarily just people talking. You know, one two people on one side of a desk and one on the other, and you're just, and you're literally introducing a character for the first time in um in that particular season. But in this case, it was perfect. Um, one how you alluded to before that one thing that we were really missing, um, outside of, uh, Anthony Mackie actually becoming, um, Captain America, which you kind of thought happened at the end of Endgame. Um, nothing really consequential happened in the first two, um, Marvel studio shows. Whereas with this one, we likely got introduced to the next big bad of, of phase four, which would be Kang the Conqueror. And what's his name? Jonathan, Jonathan Majors, right? Um, Jonathan Majors in the half hour or so that he was on screen in seasons in episode six, he, he, the expo, the exposition that they had for him explaining his, like him explaining his character, the idiosyncrasies that he showed, um, I thought it was perfect, and I can't wait to see him. I think he's going to end up being in the next Ant-Man movie. Um, I'm excited to see what he's going to be like as the next big bad for the Marvel Universe. Um, so for that reason alone, I thought that the season finale was was top-notch. Marcus. Yeah, I mean, no. I, guys, so listen, what do you think, man? <laughs> like the guys, I really enjoyed the show. Um, you know, I, I tend not to be super critical, um, hearing analysis of the show. I think there's some, there's some things they, they didn't do quite so well. I think sometimes if you look at the character of Loki and where he was at the beginning of the show and where he ends up at the end, um, that arc is very curved and it happens in a, a fast amount of time. You know, it seems like they, they get him from villain to sympathetic, like anti-villain pretty quickly in the motivation basically being like he sees how his life was going to end and that really stirs him and i think that that's motivation enough but i've seen that been criticism um i think what i really liked during the for the show was that you know they're dealing with something that as someone who's you know a fan of the comics and and potentially where they're going with um the mcu like the multiverse is infinitely interesting like because literally that you can do anything and we've gotten a lot of interesting characters from other worlds and we've gotten storylines like um 
uh jonathan hickman's secret wars where all these worlds kind of collide and they create you know the battle world and stuff and i think that was a really fun comic arc and to think you know i mean really the multiverse is where we get miles morales it is where you get spider gwen it is where the writers of the comics can really flex some creative muscles and kind of say like okay what if i have creative freedom to do anything i want with these characters because i'm not bound to storylines that happened already chronologically so i think in and of itself this is an interesting uh, playground to play in and i think the series does a pretty good job leading up to what i think for me what i really wanted what they ultimately got and i think in episode five was like i want to see these different variants i think that is the funnest part of the multiverse is seeing like and, and all these rumors of like tom cruise is going to play tony stark and something i think it's really that's a really fun aspect to think of like what about all these different versions and to have episode five where he basically you know, spoilers, of course, he gets pruned and we realize that they're not actually just dying. They're going into this other dimension or whatever. And there's a bunch of different Lokis. You have Kid Loki there. You have the classic Loki, which I think was everyone's favorite. Alligator Loki and this Thor Loki they didn't really touch on. Except for, I, 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 I just want to President Loki. You, and President yeah. Loki, which I, I thought was the real Loki, but that was just a red herring kind of thing. But go on. S stuff. Since you brought him up, Mark, that's what I want to ask everyone right now. Uh, we'll, we'll remove classic Loki from the conversation since he just got such a shining moment. It's easy to say he was your favorite variant of the subtle, more subtle Loki variants. Which one was your favorite one? Alligator Loki. He's an alligator. Visually, the the president Loki. I I thought that would that would be you know that that was in the marketing materials a lot. I think that look in the suit that's kind of tore up was just visually kind of stunning. I thought Kid Loki was all right. I kind of wanted to know what the deal with Thor Loki with his little hammer, but they didn't really get into that. But otherwise, you know, they, I mean, really the classic one just kind of stole. Like it was just like I, I you want that universe as a fan, it's just like just embrace the costumes. Like we're not going to think it's silly. We love it. Mike, which one was yours? So. Not for for very different reasons. This was my favorite Loki, um, and I think it's just because Disney Plus, their whoever their subtitlers were very scared to just call it what it was. But for the Black Loki, he was called Boastful Loki. That is and his character. There was that nothing else distinguish. There was nothing else distinguishable about him besides just so he's Black, Black Loki. But no, nope, you got to call him Boastful Loki. So Black Loki. He was my yeah. favorite Loki. <laughs> Give me a oh, show uh, of, of classic Loki and alligator Loki. Just that's the show. They're just around doing stuff. The, I watch uh, that show. My favorite of the random kind of like more uh, Easter eggy variants was just because the randomness of it made me laugh for like three minutes straight is when they first uh, when he's back at the TVA and they're just showing them the holograms when uh, it's Tour de France winning Loki, where it's just Tom Hiddleston, but he's dressed as Lance Armstrong holding the giant cup trophy. I'm like, oh, that's it. His variant is just he's a pro cycler in Europe. That, that's his whole shtick. Uh, I, that I got, I got, I got a question. I got a question. Duh, was any for anybody else? Owen Wilson just. I mean, I'll say for me, the best part of the show, but he was just brilliant in this. I mean, but no, or did any, or was it just me alone? Happy to see Owen Wilson. I mean. Owen Wilson is a great actor. Anytime you see Owen Wilson in something, it's gonna you know he's gonna do really well in it. So um I mean I, I don't think I was gonna know them as much as you were, but I mean I thought he was oh, great. the only episode I didn't like yeah. was the one about Owen Wilson. That was the only episode I didn't enjoy. <laughs> I mean, Bob, like I don't you you're, you're clearly you're not listening to the internet chatter if you think you're on any kind of island with that, because 
what did I say the show is, but just a series of small conversations, right? And the Fantastic Four of this show are, um, I don't know her actress name, but the one who plays Sylvie, um, Tom Hiddleston, the uh, titular Loki, Owen Wilson's Mobius. And by the way, I've now come to the line, Mobius is a great dog name. And that is a dog name that I will bank away uh, for some time. And then, of course, our uh, finale episode, um, you know, Kang slash Immortus slash whatever variant uh, this man will come to be. Um, but, you know, so all of them carried their weight. They all carried their scenes, right? Like, so much of the charm of these early episodes was the back and forth banter and kind of like budding bromance of, uh, you know, Tom Hiddleston and Owen Wilson. And that's why that, that little, tw- that little swerve at the finale hits so hard, right? Cause when Owen uh, Wilson's Mobius looks at him and doesn't know who he is and he's like, who are you? Where are you from? That moment hurts like hell because we're like, oh man, these guys are friends now. They hugged it out. Like these guys are bros. So yeah, I think. Owen Wilson has gotten plenty of love for his part in this show. Yeah. I also liked Owen Wilson quite a bit. I, I think he really, I mean, him and Tom just have great chemistry. Um, I mean, and at the same time though, it is kind of Owen Wilson just playing that character, that kind of, I mean, could you have him in a script where he doesn't say whoa or whispers at some point? He's always whispering, you know? Wow. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I did just want to point out, you know, we did already talk about, you know, I think introducing Kang here was a big surprise because we hadn't really had, like Stefan had mentioned in the other series, these kind of big reveals that seem to kind of shake the MCU. And I think outside of him just kind of like chewing up and eating up those scenes, it's going to be really interesting in hindsight to see this version of Kang. And I mean, we're assuming that's his name, right? But like, we know he's playing King the Conqueror in in one facet or the other. But to see this version of him where he's basically at the end of his rope, he's kind of tired with all the time travel and the work. And I think when we see him either in Ant-Man or uh, Multiverse uh, of Madness or what have you, it will be a very different portrayal of that character. It will probably be a lot more aggressive, a lot more authoritative. It was really fun to see him in this kind of character in this time in his life where he's kind of lost control and is giving up and is just letting what happened happen and i think that'll be a really interesting just position you know five years from now when we're in you know the secret wars and this other things where he is the big baddie and he's kind of this big badass character to see him being very comical and lighthearted and kind of fun um, I think down the line, this performance will be more intriguing than we might even think now, because I do feel the character is going to have a very different type of attitude towards um, the heroes. And again, this is just really, it's been so fun watching the MCU evolve and grow over the years. And we've talked about it many times, but to see them kind of nail Guardians and to understand like, okay, this studio can do something weird and be successful and get everyone on board. How far can they push it? And the multiverse is kind of as far as you can go with really weird, crazy shit. And Loki was a good dip in, you know, first toe dip in there and to see, can they kind of land this stuff on a smaller scale on a lower budget? And they probably will have with these really big movies and they did a fantastic job. So yeah, it's, I mean, I've always personally, the Disney plus shows have been must view watching. I wouldn't skip any of them, even if they don't have huge ramifications because we're seeing a quality of actor. We don't see on the small screen. You don't see Tom in in, in TV shows that often, or, um, you know, the people, you know, Sam and Bucky, 
um, playing these characters on like a mini series. It's really fantastic to see these big actors getting a lot of time in these characters' boots and to really see them kind of flourish. Um, so it'll be interesting. I'm I'm just as if not more excited for Hawkeye and Miss Marvel. Um, because I think these shows have really proven themselves that, you know, they have the budget, they have the chops to be just as good as the movies, um, but have more time to develop the characters, which I think has been fascinating. Right on. So what uh, What if? That's next? Yeah, that's an animated series um, that I think is going, personally, is going to be really fun. Obviously, probably won't have the overarching kind of narrative bites, because What If is a comic book series where it's basically... What if, you know, Uncle Ben got bit by the spider instead of Peter Parker? And I've tried to read those Wait, comics. Is that, is that a real one? I think that might be. They, 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 they do a lot of weird shit. And yeah, I, would, I, would, I would read that one. That one sounds interesting. Read, <laughs> and I've read some of them, and they just haven't been that good. Like, they're just like, they're about things I don't understand. And it's like, there's a different alternate version. I'm like, I have no idea. But There's uh, a whole series of so-and-so kills the Marvel Universe. Hulk's done it. Wolverine's done it. Deadpool's done it. They all did it for different reasons. Yeah, but um, they they have you know shown in trailers some of the and I think they're going to be kind of self contained episodes. And one of the ones that they have uh, shown a little bit of is Marvel Zombies, and I'm excited for that. I actually really enjoy the Marvel Zombies uh, comics. I think what makes it kind of interesting, outside of just having you know a zombie outbreak where superheroes are getting bit, I think a really interesting creative arc they've done with that that I hope they keep for this what if is that the zombies still have their mental faculties. They're just extremely hungry and they can't stop themselves. So in the first Marvel comics, you know, Peter Parker is in extreme depression because he ate Anne May and Mary Jane and he didn't want to, but the hunger is too much. So um, I think they have a lot of interesting wiggle room uh, in that series. So that, that'll be like a fun one-off. And then, you know, I, I think Hawkeye and Miss Marvel are going to be interesting, but obviously we're not going to see kind of like this big overarching storyline with Kang in the multiverse until Doctor Strange and Ant-Man. It seems like there's going to be really, certain uh, movies that kind of hit that stuff. Well, I, I can't speak to some of those other series, but uh, Mark Kevin Feige did recently say that what if it's not just going to be this thing that they did. They're like, yeah, this is what the variant multiverse is now. So Ooh, okay. they are saying like, yeah, everything we're showing you in what if, just think of them as variant timelines now. Potentially like, could they're, they're, maybe come into play so, later. Yeah, so if they animate something, but I think they're basically saying is like, yeah, this is the timing of this is intentional because now that we've introduced the idea of branching timelines, let's take a look at some. Um, but how, how, are we, how, are we gonna do Ma- how are we going to do Miles Morales? Because like they've made reference to the Prowler, right? Gambino played the Prowler in um, the first Spider-Man movie, right? Coming, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So there's a there's, yeah. they've put a, they backdoored this. I mean. So it's not even a thing. They don't need, I mean, I guess it could be, but it doesn't have to be a multiverse thing. It could just be T exists. I mean, do we know, does well, Marvel Bob, the, not have a firm MC, enough grasp? The MCU is its own timeline. So that's why the MCU doesn't match any comic book canon perfectly because they just gave the way the main comic universe is Earth 616. I forget the designation, but they've basically said well, no, what I'm MCU saying is, is its own designation. So they can say any character exists in this universe already if they want to. Well, that's what I'm saying. Because of the way they did, and again, this is the Sony deal with Spider-Man and all that stuff. But yeah. if they put Prowler in just in the same universe as you know that Peter well, Parker, does that mean we're gonna get you know Miles Morales? We, I mean, we can now have we can now have options. We can do him as in a variant timeline, or we can just do him as part of the you know. Well, yeah. 
in, well, in fairness, you code. could you could have done him yeah. you could have done him in the regular in the regular yeah. timeline itself because homecoming came before the blip yeah i'm saying they have options now. so you could say well you know miles may be just like a really small kid um before the five-year gap and now he's like shit maybe he's like peter's age in this time in um in this universe i don't know yeah yeah Bob, you, you kind of hit it the the biggest monkey wrench in there is that sony kind of owns the spider-man franchise and they've been playing nice with uh marvel and you know the last couple spider-man movies have been coexisting in that timeline so i think we're going to see something interesting in no way home they've already talked i mean there's lots of rumors about other former spider-man reprising their roles and having that kind of bleed in uh and, and, and that could be where they you know have a miles character but I honestly don't know, like, if Sony wants to run with that themselves. I mean, obviously they did um, Into the Multiverse with uh, Miles, and that was animated feature was fantastic, and it got a lot of people interested in the character. So they might not be so willing to let the MCU. I I don't know. I mean, they're doing. I'm they're really making a sequel excited. to that also. They're making a sequel to that. So yeah, which should be interesting. I mean, I'm I, like Stefan could probably attest. I'm really invested in the MCU, so I would I hope that you know No Way Home. They do branch into something with Miles, but I honestly don't know. It, it, with Sony, it does get kind of muddled. They want to, and, and and they muddle it, and then you look at their products that they're doing outside of the MCU, like the Venom movies and this Morbius movie, and you kind of get like, uh, maybe they still haven't really have that ship tied down as good as as strongly as Marvel does. So it'll be interesting. Did I, any, I think the next. Did anybody, I did anybody else see Venom? I didn't see. No, did I you guys see Venom? Stefan, yeah, what did you think? I saw it. Um, Venom is like a fun action movies in the late 90s or early 2000s. It's so incredibly tropey. Like, this is going to make me sound pretentious as fuck, but real common people like this movie, right? Like, uh, it's the reason that A Fast and the Furious becomes the big hit is I do. It's like, you know, I say I'm the type a person even though i don't necessarily like those movies but i can usually respect and appreciate those movies as you guys say right it's dumb fun but there's a segment of the people who are like no that's a good movie that's what a good movie looks like and that's who enjoys the venom movie like if you're a comic book fan there are so many fucking problems with that movie but if you're just looking for a dumb good time and don't like to think too hard uh yeah venom it was great it was hilarious like it's fine you know it's it's just it's one of those movies if all I had to compare pair it against was the Singer X-Men movie. Then, yeah, oh, man, one of the best superhero movies ever made. But now that I've seen what good superhero movies can be, it's like you're kind of a relic of a different era of superheroes. Yeah. Uh, it's it's also it's uh, way too dark. There's a certain whole big battle of the symbiotes at the end. I cannot tell any of them apart. Like, I don't know who's fighting who, which one's the good symbiote, which one's the bad symbiote. It all looks the same. There's, But it's in San Francisco, Bob, so we like that. I was going to say, Mike, he, uh, I think Stefan just sold us on having to watch this uh, this Venom movie, right? Giving it the Fast and the Furious comparison. I mean, he said it in such a, like, derisive way, though. I know. I really, uh, that was one of the more uh, pretentious. Let, let me ask a question, Stefan. Is the is ultimately family the most powerful thing in Venom or not? That's really how we measure movies now. <laughs> I guess you could say that the symbiote Venom and Eddie Brock they did form a bit of a familial bond. So um, I do think family yeah. has won the day in this one. There we go. <laughs> and, and also, Stefan, you said uh, you know you're gonna at the risk of sounding pretentious, but uh, man, I feel like the only thing missing from your 
your your review of a uh, Venom was just like a monocle, man. Like, yeah, like, Jesus, I mean, get like up off said, your ivory tower. It's uh, it's it's not a visual medium, but I'm clearly snacking away on my charcuterie board as we speak and as I make these points. But uh, yeah, I know that sounded real assholey, but it's the it's the best way I could convey my feelings about well, that movie. I, I'm not gonna lie, I tried watching the movie once and. I, I couldn't sit through it, and I can normally sit through any superhero movie. I got like is it on, a quarter of the way on, through, and I'm like, I'm I'm done with this. Is it on a legitimate streaming platform, or is it other places? Does anybody know? Honestly, I don't know because it's Sony. They no, don't okay. have their own thing yet. So. Sony, yeah, I had to go to Netflix, like fucking France, to watch Far From Home, man. Yeah, Sony is a free Not- agent. It could be anywhere or nowhere. <laughs> yeah, it's anyway. It's like, um, all right, it's like Schrodinger's cat of movie licenses. Very nice. Um, all right, guys. Um, we're going to end this podcast as I sit here very angry at Discord for the struggles it's given me over the last hour and 40 minutes. Um, we'll be back next week. Uh, we're talking about that Bellator fight with AJ McKee and Patricio Pitbull. See if there's anything else good going on on that card. Um, I'm a little bit disappointed in Mike not bringing up Rampage Jackson and uh, Shannon Briggs shit-talking each other about a boxing match. I really thought Mike was going to get a, get us going with that. Was is that is that real? Are we doing that? Real quick? Is that happening? I don't know. Shannon Briggs, he 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 shits talks someone like once a month. That dude's like fifty five years old. He needs to he needs to stop. Or probably or get on knocks track. Out, probably knocks out Quentin's fat ass still. Unfortunately, um, we'll see if anything goes on with that. Uh, we'll talk about Uriah Hall getting a fight with Sean Strickland. Um, we're gonna see um, if Aspen Blad's really back. You know, we'll see. Maybe a next next fight for Misha Tate there, the winner of that one, and um, we're gonna see. If uh, TJ Dillashaw bounces back from a two and a half year layoff. Until then, I was Dr. Law. That was Kid Presentable. That was DJ Mark. And that was Lavender Gooms. Thank you all so much for listening. Stay safe. Get vaccinated. Yada, yada, yada. Peace out. Yep. Cheers.